All right, hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And once again, welcome. Now today what we're doing is we're continuing our series entitled Thrive. And today what we're doing is we're actually going to go into the topic of relationships. We all have them, we all need them, and we all need them to be better. And so with that in mind, we're going to talk about today thriving by finding your ride or die. Thriving by finding your ride or die. And we're going to focus on this statement today that you will thrive when you allow God to be the author of your relationships. That you will in fact thrive when you allow God to be the author of your relationships. We're going to break the message down into three parts today. We're going to talk first about to whom you're hitched. Why it's vitally important to whom you're hitched and how that affects every aspect of your life. Secondly, we're going to talk about why it matters. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about thriving in the bonds of Christ. And so before we do anything else, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us to give us the hope of thriving in the life abundant that you've called us to in Christ Jesus. God, we're asking that you would help us to know that and live in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's open our Bibles today to Genesis chapter 24. What we've been doing is we've been going through the life of Isaac, who was Abraham's promised son from God, whom he gave he and Sarah in their older age to give them a miracle sign of all that they were going, that God was going to accomplish in them and through their lives as they put their faith in the living God. And so we're going to pick up today in the uh, point in Isaac's life where he's ready to get hitched where he's ready to actually come into a relationship that will define not only the rest of his life, but also the rest of his posterity's life. His wife, Rebecca, who would come along and really be the mother of the tribes that would follow. And so we see um, that when we're talking about to whom you're hitched, we need to understand that you will thrive in life when you allow God to be the Lord of your story that you will thrive in life when you allow God to be the Lord of your story. We know that Isaac was a man of promise. We know that God had spoken several words over him. But in the midst of the, uh, him pursuing the promises of God and living life devoted to God, he had to make sure that God was going to be the Lord of the most important relationships in his life and then ultimately his story. And so let's read this today in Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Abraham, Isaac's father, was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, whom, um, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps a woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. My, must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who, I, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, 
and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. And so we see once again that this was a clear depiction of God being intimately involved in the story, the ongoing developing story of the life of Isaac. He wanted him to thrive. He wanted him to be a child of promise. He wanted him to bring the kingdom of God to the earth through his life. Now, the thing about it, though, is that what God understood was that the relationships that marked and defined his life were going to uh, really be part of that story, a big part of that story, because it would affect where he lived. It would affect what he did with his time. It would affect how he directed his resources. It would affect his child rearing. It would affect everything that came out of the relationship of um, out of this marital relationship that Abraham was so concerned that his um, son Isaac would have. Well, what is uh, Abraham talking about here? Well, when he talks to his servant uh, and he says, go, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to pass away, but I want the Lord, God Almighty, to be the author of my son Isaac's story as he's been up to this point during my lifetime. And he said to him, if you are going to help me in this servant, I need you to go back to my homeland and find a wife amongst my own people for my son Isaac. Now, why was this important? Well, the importance of this was Abraham was intent on making sure the one to whom his son Isaac was married, the one to whom his son Isaac was hitched, was somebody of his own people. And what that is, is it's a picture, a prophetic picture, really, of the importance of who we are yoked to in our lifetimes. Now, the thing about it is Abraham had left the land of Ur, and had gone to the land of Canaan, which God said he was going to give him as an inheritance. And God said, this is the land that I want you to live in, so I don't want you to leave this land. Though it may be challenging, though it might at times seem dry, though it might at times seem that even the provision for the posterity that I have for you isn't right in front of you in this land. I don't want you to leave it. Why? Because Abraham and your son Isaac, this is the land of promise and inheritance where I'm going to bring my kingdom through your life. So remember that when you start thinking about your felt needs. And when you start thinking about how I'm going to fulfill my purpose for you, I want you to stay in this land. And that's what Abraham was saying to his servant. I don't want you to take my son Isaac, even in need of a wife, out of this land. God will provide for him, but don't let him leave the land of promise. Don't let him leave the land that God called him to, to actually fulfill his kingdom purposes in and through him. But what I want you to do, servant, is I want you to go back to the land of Ur amongst my own people, amongst my own people, and find a wife for my son Isaac with whom God will provide not only companionship, but also posterity for the promise he's given me to make this family a great nation in the Lord. And so he says, okay, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that, and if she's willing to come with me, I'm going to bring back this woman who's going to be the wife of Isaac and be um, uh, basically um, the mother of this ongoing story that God's unfolding. God wanted to be the Lord of both where Isaac lived and not only where Isaac lived, but to whom he was hitched. 
the most important relationships in his life. And when you're actively walking with God and still think you're missing something in the land to which God has called you, do understand this, that God can be doing one of two things. He can be, number one, developing you always, always developing you and me, right? We've never arrived. We've never gotten to the place where we have it all together. We're always growing in the wisdom and the knowledge of God and being conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So number one, God could be forming and shaping us. But not only that, he can be protecting us from that which would be harmful to us if we were just given any and everything that was available. And if anybody's ever been on the dating scene, you know that to be true. That you don't want no scrubs. You don't want no scrubs hollering back at me. Okay, so what you want is you want somebody who God has formed and fashioned after his own heart, after his word, and after his kingdom purposes to join you in the great story that God's unfolding as Lord of your life. And so when you don't see it, and um, immediately just know that as you're actively walking with God, God's either developing you further or he's protecting you from something that otherwise would be detrimental to you in the midst of that story. And God was the one who inevitably said to Adam, it is not good for Adam, meaning the first man, to be alone. And what he's talking about here is obviously the um, time in which Adam brought along Eve to be his wife. That he said, though you have intimate and ongoing fellowship and relationship with me, it's not good for you, Adam, to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for you to fulfill even my kingdom purposes in your life. But you see, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that people often just relegate that to marriage. But it's not just marriage that God's talking about here. When he's saying it's good, not good for Adam to be alone, yes, he gave Adam a spouse and Eve. And in this situation, as God wanted Isaac to thrive, he gave uh, Isaac eventually his wife, Rebecca, in which he, they would thrive together. But it's not marriage only. Why do we know this? Because God has called some to the gift of celibacy. And celibacy basically means that you have undivided devotion to the Lord, where you say, God, I'm not going to, uh, besides the daily responsibilities that I have, I'm not going to be distracted or divided with my, the affairs that I have um, uh, with uh, trying to maintain and grow a marital relationship, but I'm going to be wholeheartedly devoted to you as my husband, as my spouse. And when you see that as a gift from God, regardless of whether it's seasonal or for a lifetime, you know that God is not leaving you without provision even during that time. God says, I'm either developing you or protecting you, and I'm still going to cause you to thrive. And even in times of celibacy, God says, or times of otherwise known as singleness, what God's saying is that he's going to give you provision so that you might be fully devoted to the Lord. If it's not a spouse, then he gives you relationships so that you will not be alone. And where are those relationships found? Those relationships are found as a part of his body amongst his people in his kingdom. You see, that's the, that's the importance of what Abraham was having the servant focus on. 
He says, regardless of where you, um, um, of where you, who this woman is that God's going to provide for my son Isaac, I want you to make sure that two things, he stays in the land. So number one, God will provide the provision of those relationships in the land that he's called you to. And then number two, I want them to be from amongst my people. And in the body of Christ, that means the church, the body of Christ, who Jesus is the head. That means you'll find the most important relationships that God has for you to thrive right in the midst of the community of believers that he has for you, whether it be as a spouse or whether it be as brothers and sisters coming around and serving God together. Now, why do I say this? Well, Jesus said, anyone who follows me and anyone who has left mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, and houses and homes for me will not fail to receive 100 times as much and mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, and with that persecution, but also in the age to come, eternal life. And God wants us to thrive as he's the Lord of our story. Now, why this matters is that to thrive, God wants to be involved in all of our most important and defining relationships in life. And whenever Abraham's servant went on that trek to find Isaac's wife from amongst Abraham's people in his former land of Ur, what we saw is that it continued the story this way. In Genesis 24, verse 42, the servant found Rebekah and he found that God had provided this miraculous story of how Rebekah, who would eventually become the mother of Israel and Esau, God said he provided for them, and he's, this servant of Abraham is recounting how it came about. And in verse 42, he was saying and talking to the family of Rebekah prior to Rebekah returning with the servant to Canaan to be Isaac's wife, he said, this is how it came about. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now are you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. So he's saying, God, I'm posturing. I'm looking to you for this provision for Isaac. I'm posturing myself, asking you to be intimately involved in this finding of Isaac's spouse. I'm looking to you. And let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? Because remember, the servant had to make sure. i got to make sure that this woman who's going to be hitched to Isaac is from amongst Abraham's own people. And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for a son. So what the servant was saying here is, I found Abraham's family. 
I found Abraham's family and this woman, Rebecca, who did the very thing that I was praying to the Lord and asking the Lord to do as a sign that this was the provision for Isaac to be his spouse. What God did is he showed me the exact woman from the exact family that Abraham told me to look from. And then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And so what we see is that God not only wanted to be the Lord of this story that Isaac was having unfolded so that he might thrive, but why it mattered to whom he was hitched was that God wanted to be intimately involved in all the affairs, all the affairs, all the relationships that were developing in Isaac's life. Now, this is important because many times when we're serving God, Christians are tempted to have a secular life and a sacred life. And what I mean by that is they have a secular life where it's just their everyday affairs. They hang with who they want to hang with. They do what, um, what they want to do with them. And really, those are their real friends. And then they have their sacred life where they devote maybe a couple of hours a week, uh, several portions, a little bit of a portion of their um, week in time to church and the, uh, the people of God and say, you know, I should do this. And I, I know that maybe they're not my real friends, but I know they're at least my brothers and sisters, so I should be devoted to them in some way. And there's this segmentation between the secular and the sacred. How many people have been there before? If we're honest with ourselves, it's more common than we think. And what we want to do is actually say, God, I need you to reorient my heart. I need you to reorient my mind and let me love the things that you love, value the things that you value, and even place worth in the relationships that you place worth in. God, I want you to be the center and the author of the relationships that are both uh, identifying and defining me really in my life. And this is what happened with Isaac here. It matters to whom you're yoked. And this word yoked was a word used in biblical times when we had two different oxen who were trying to plow a field together. And over those oxen were put a board so that though the oxen both had individual strength about them, when they were put in the field by the farmer, number one, they would go in the same direction and then number two, they would actually multiply the strength that came together between them because they were going in step with one another towards a common cause. This is what the word yoked was talking about in the scripture and why it matters to whom you're hitched, whether in marriage or just in the most important identifying, defining relationships in your life and why God wants to be right there in the mix to help you thrive by being the author of those stories is this. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1, God, through the apostle Paul, is talking about life in Christ and the life that he wants you to thrive in. And he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, right? So he was saying, listen, Abraham was saying to his servant, listen, get a, son, a wife for my son 
Isaac from my own people. Why? Because when they're yoked together, they need to be going in the same direction. And not only do they need to be going in the same direction, they need to be of equal strength so that one's not pulling the other, dragging the other, and slowing the other one down. But instead, they're provoking and pulling one another into the purposes of God together. And what Paul's saying is don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers who don't put their trust in Christ, who don't put their faith in Jesus, because there can't be partnership with righteousness and lawlessness. When you're trying to live wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord, you need a spouse who is doing the same. When you are living without um, a marital relationship, but are being defined by the most important relationships in your life, spending your weekends and spending your week, weeknights after work, what you're doing with your time there matters as well. And unless you're trying to reach friends, family members, or co-workers who don't know the Lord and try to bring them into the kingdom of God, what you need to be doing is spending your time with like-minded believers who will be building you up in the faith, in righteousness, in devotion to God, in holiness to Him. Because as Paul continued, what fellowship has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, who was a false god at the time? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them. He's not talking about going to a commune or living separately um, altogether from people who don't believe in this world. Otherwise, he said you would have to leave this world. But he's saying in the devotion of your life, who you're yoked to, who you're defined by, who, you, who your ride or dies are, God is saying these people need to be like-minded in Jesus, in his church, to fulfill his kingdom purposes together. He says, come out from amongst the unbelievers and be separate, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Because when you have relationship with people and you're fellowshipping, sharing life with them, then you're either going to be touching clean things or unclean things. And what's easier to do in the world in which we live is to fill ourselves with entertainment, to fill ourselves with activities, to fill ourselves with even conversation that's unclean rather than clean. But God's saying, let me be the author of the most defining relationships in your life, where you spend the lion's share of your time finding your ride or dies, whether in marriage or in just general brother and sister relationship in his church. Why? So that you can touch no unclean thing. Then God says, I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So this is what it means to find your right or die, whether spousally or just in your most important defining and identifying relationships in life, when God is Lord of your story and actually in, in the midst of it to build something that's going to cause you to thrive in fruitful righteousness and holiness in the life that he's called you to. You can think of the Lord as saying this, 
for as long as you are single, I want you all to myself, and for you to use your life in ways that are undisturbed by, undisturbed by the concerns of how to please someone else who will distract and demand your attention before or above me when you are living in a marriage towards the Lord, you're yoked together. And he says, I want you to live a life that is together multiplied in your pursuit and effectiveness in me because you're loving me and advancing my kingdom together, teaching your children who eventually will come to do the same. And the body of Christ, the family of God, is what gives you the ability, whether married or not, to thrive in relationships. The purpose of God-given relationships is that God has forever, God forever has eternal purposes, forever has eternal purposes in his kingdom and in mind. And the question is, is how do your relationships reflect this as their foundation and their chief aim? How do your relationships, whether maritally or just uh, in friendship and brother and sister relationships, reflect both the eternal and the kingdom purposes of God in mind. It reminds me of the exchange between uh, Tony Stark and Captain America in the Age of Ultron when they were discussing the threat that was ultimately coming. And Tony Stark said, listen, we're the Avengers. We can bust arm de arms dealers all the live long day. But that up there, talking about the invasion of Thanos' army, that's the end game. How are you guys planning on beating that? And Steve Rogers said, as he always did calmly, coolly, confidently, together. And what God is ultimately saying is in his word, listen, the end game is that I am coming again. The end game is that, yes, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life for us, died a sacrificial death for us, honored the cross in our place to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin against the a holy and righteous God. But then he rose again and then ascended into heaven so that he might be interceding for the people of God until he makes his return. And the end game is that ultimately we're all going to die. We're all going to stand before God in judgment and give an account for our lives. That is the end game. And until that time, he says, I want you to go out into the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded you. That is the end game. And why to whom your hitch matters is because those relationships that most identify and define you, whether in marriage or outside of it, will either be propelling you towards that end game or they will be pulling you away from it. And you know the difference. You feel it, you see the fruit of it, and you need to be honest about it. Some of you need to cut off a yoke that you have right now that's pulling you out of relationship with God rather than to, into fuller relationship with Him. Some of you who have been longing for marriage need to stop holding out for that and instead invest in the relationships God's already provided for you in the land while you wait, in the church of Jesus Christ, fulfilling the purposes that He has for you together with them because that's God's end game. 
And he says, you're not going to ever do kingdom business alone. But like Steve Rogers says, and God said over and over again in his word, you'll do it together. That's why it matters. And you cannot be fully satisfied in life without God-given eternal kingdom purpose. That is the truth of the matter. The whole series is talking about thriving, but you've got to do it with God-given eternal kingdom purpose. And your God-given relationships are meant to help you thrive by pulling these purposes out of you. That's why even King David talked about his covenant brother Jonathan at the, um, um, during, at the time of his death when he was singing a song of lament about him. And in 2 Samuel 1, 25-27, he said, How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war have perished. What was David saying here? David was not speaking about homosexual relationship that he had with Jonathan, but about a covenant bond that was powerful for propelling David into the purposes of the Lord and advancing the kingdom of God with Jonathan, his brother. And God wants you to thrive in those same types of relationships, both when you're married and when you're not. And so ultimately we need to have a and ambition to thrive in the bonds of Christ, understanding that you will be able to thrive during challenging times when God has been the author of your story during easier ones. And in Genesis 24, verses 62 through 67, this was the beauty of the Rebecca-Isaac relationship. After Rebecca returned home with the servant to actually um, meet Isaac and then be married to him, it said, now Isaac had turned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebecca, Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that had, uh, he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You see, Isaac had a great and powerful relationship with his mother, Sarah. Sarah, this uh, matriarch married to Abraham, had passed away, and Isaac loved his mother. There was deep pain in his life at the loss of his mother, and the truth is that in the midst of thriving, let me, let me say this very clearly, thriving does not mean, thriving in God does not mean the absence of suffering or pain. Suffering and pain is something that we will all experience at some point in our lives, but we thrive in the midst of it. And during Isaac's particular moment of pain at the loss of his mother, it's what he had was God-given provision in Rebekah to help comfort him. And in the bonds of Christ, that is what God provides. The relationships that God authors for you are for both good times and bad. And God helps you thrive in these bonds by giving you, <clears throat> you, the, um, you those with whom you enjoy life 
and those who are built to help you walk through times of loss or mourning. Why? Because we'll all experience them. And thriving means you have relationships to do that with. You don't want to compartmentalize your life into things that you do with God's influence and things that you do without. True biblical fellowship allows you to thrive by giving you those with whom you share all of life. Not just my friends I go to the game with, not just the friends that I you know, play sports with, not just friends that I you know, do movies and Netflix with, and then I do church with my other friends. God wants to give you people that you enjoy all of life with. So what should we be doing with those whom God has given us? Well, at least four things. Number one, we should rejoice with those God's given us in triumph. We should rejoice with them. Find people in God's body, in his church, with whom you can rejoice during times of triumph. Secondly, God wants to give you people within his church who you can stand with and comfort in their pain and who likewise can comfort you in your pain as well. Number three, God wants you to give you people with whom you can pursue greater intimacy while provoking them and them provoking you towards greater intimacy in God. You see, ultimately, that's what our covenant relationships are for, that we'd have greater intimacy with those people pursuing it, but then those relationships would provoke greater intimacy with God. And then number four, what that ultimately leads to is together fighting to stand as witnesses for Jesus while making disciples together in the world around you. Those are what the relationships are for. And so you should make a checklist and say, are, uh, do, do I have these types of relationships? And not only do I have these types of relationships, but are we pursuing these four things together? And what God has done for you, this is the beauty of things. What God has done for you, you want to incarnate, meaning put on flesh for, on, for others. This is what Jesus did for us in his sinless life, lived for us all the way to the cross. Once he bore our sins and burdens there, he was resurrected to life eternal and offers it to those bound to him through repentance and faith. Meaning that if you, this, all of this message is foreign to you because you've been outside of the life of God, you can come into it today by turning away from your sin, what the Bible calls sin, and putting your faith in Jesus. This invitation to an eternal thriving is offered not only to us, but it's offered to those, <clears throat> it's offered through us to those who are harassed and helpless in the world without God. And this applies to the rich or the poor, the seemingly successful or the obviously destitute. All are in the same place before God without Jesus. And this is why we need to remember, even as we go out into the world, we're yoked together with the family of God. We build those relationships with the family of God. But then we relate with the world who stands opposed to God. Now, what do we do during those times? Well, Charles Spurgeon said it this way, and we're going to end with not only what Charles Spurgeon said, but what the Apostle Paul said by the Holy Spirit of God. Charles Spurgeon said, We are bound to be just and right towards all men as men, whatever their religious convictions or irreligious notions. Injustice is no friend to truth. We must not fight God's battles with the weapons of ill will. For us to hate those who are in error or talk of them with contempt 
or wish them ill or do them wrong is not according to the spirit of Christ. You cannot cast out Satan by Satan, nor correct error by violence, nor overcome hate by hate. The conquering weapon of the Christian is love. And where did the great preacher Charles Spurgeon get such a sentiment? It's only what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2.22. He said, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so God's saying, thrive in the bonds of Christ and through that you'll have the strength to go out and together together fulfill God's end game making disciples of the nations until he makes his return and so let's end there today saying God help me help me to wise up to those to whom I'm, I'm hitched knowing that it's important that you're Lord of not only my stories, but also the most important relationships in my life, and that ultimately you want me to thrive in the bonds that you create in Jesus Christ. And so my first invitation is for those of you who say, you know what, I've never made a bond with Christ himself. I've lived on my own, and I've lived in sin and rebellion before God, and I know I deserve death and hell because of it. But today, I don't want to stand before the judgment seat of God and look forward to an inevitable hell. But I want to turn away from my sin and put my trust in Jesus, his sinless life, his death, burial, and resurrection for me today. And if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I've been a sinner. And I know that I deserve death and hell because of my rebellion against you, but I don't want it. I thank you that you sent Jesus to live the sinless life for me. And on the cross died the sacrificial death that I deserve to die. And because of his innocence, three days later, you raised him from the dead so that I could have not only forgiveness of sins, but new life in you. God, I proclaim Jesus my Lord today. May he be the Lord of my story from this point forward, the Lord of my relationships from this point forward, and help me to love him as he's loved me. In his mighty name, amen. Now, the good news is, is that if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only um, resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new devotion to God. We're going to continue to discuss these matters in our community groups this week. So if you've not yet found one, please do visit our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options. We'll be praying for you this week, so let us know how we can be standing with you. And please do think about how you can share this link with others who need to be strengthened by the grace of God. Invite those same people to service with you next week. And until then, have a great week in the Lord. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you soon.